Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Clubhouse Talk. This is Kylie Morrison alongside Joseph Mraz. And, and Joe, I think we're going to have a, a pretty fun podcast tonight with uh, a lot of really good, upbeat, energetic news tonight. Yes, 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 yes. We are uh, midway, or I guess the Braves are midway through the NLCS, and we're off to a good start and winning the first two games in incredible fashion, which we'll we'll break into. But it's just been unbelievable baseball. Yeah, the, the whole postseason has so far. And I, I'm going to go ahead and put a disclaimer and apology out there for my raspy voice. I was at the Tennessee Ole Miss game this weekend. I, l- I let it all out there on Saturday, and my, my voice still is not 100% today. So I'm going to just go ahead and put it out there. Apologies for the lack of, of good voice tonight. He's also the one that hit Lane Kiffin with the golf ball, if anybody was curious. Rumors. This is only rumors. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but, yeah, I mean, the whole postseason, truly, though, just not even – the Braves game specifically, every single one has, has been a fantastic baseball. But even just all the way around, there have not been many blowouts. Um, it, it's been really one of the best postseasons I can recall in a long time, just quality of game after game after game. Mm-hmm. They've been – you know, well contested games. Nobody, no teams really blown anybody out yet. Um, yeah, it's just it's just been phenomenal baseball on both sides. Yeah. So I mean, clearly last week uh, due to scheduling conflicts, we weren't able to get you on, so we didn't get to talk about um, the Braves' first round matchup against Milwaukee Brewers because that was the last time we left off with you was was right before mm-hmm. that series was going to start. So I guess kind of a, before we get into all the events of the last two days for the Braves as we're recording this on uh, Monday, October 18th, we'll, we'll kind of, we'll jump all the way back to that division series. And let's just, let's just kind of take, take the road as, as uh, the Braves have gone through this. So you go all the way back to the very first game in Milwaukee, uh, Charlie Martin was on the mound in really a fantastically pitched game, both by him um, and, and by uh, the Brewers pitcher uh, Corbin Burns, but the Brewers kind of edged him out 2-1, just one one mistake that entire game for Morton hanging a ball in the seventh inning. Uh, that mm-hmm. was hit for a two-run homer. And then the the one run for the Braves was a pinch-hit home run for Jock Peterson, which is going to be a uh, theme as we talk about the Braves is Jock Peterson coming up big. But that, that first game was, was a little bit heartbreaking. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was definitely disappointing, but the Brewers trotted out, you know, one of the best pitchers in the national league and uh, we weren't able to get to him. And, and like you said, Charlie pitched well and really just threw one bad ball that got sent pretty far. And, and that was that, that was, a, you know, a classic pitchers duel game. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, that was really, yeah, that was a really boring game, but. Yeah, it was. I mean, the Braves had their opportunity early. They had uh, runners on first and third, I believe it was with nobody out. Um, and then just some really bad luck getting uh, Ozzy hitting a ground ball right to the back at first and then throwing home and, and getting a lead run of Solaire out. Um, and it really just killed that. That's the race just did do anything else offensively the rest of the game. But that was a lot more to Corbin Burns. I think it was more to the race Pat. So just he's a great pitcher and uh, he dominated them that game. Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely agree. I don't think you can really put too much blame on us for not going out there and, and lighting him up. It doesn't agree. happen very often. Yeah. I mean, and then you you turn it around to game two, and Max Reed goes out there and pitches an absolute gem. 
I believe it was seven innings of just a couple hit ball, did not give up a run. The Braves got to uh, Brandon Woodruff pretty early in that game. I think it was either in the second or the third inning, got a couple back-to-back doubles, put up three runs on them, and, and the Braves win that game 3 nothing and shut out the Brewers. Uh, and that was I think that was really a huge, huge moment for the Braves to, to split that, especially after losing game one, because if you go down 2-0, having to come back home and win the next three, that's that's such a different uh, look at the series than if you're you're coming back home tight 1-1. Oh yeah, the mindset's com- completely different because you can play a, at least a little looser. But yeah, Mac, Max Freed has become kind of a, a playoff monster for us. The last, oh, certainly, the last two seasons. Um, but he's he, proven he's proving that he is genuinely an ace and one of the best pitchers in baseball. Yeah, I mean that that was an absolute gem of a game against you know not I wouldn't say the Brewers have one of the best hitting lineups, but they're no pushover either. And he just ran through them the whole game. No, I mean, that was, it's a, it's a, it'll be an absolute theme for kind of what that series was, was the Braves pitching, especially they're starting mm-hmm. so far this playoffs. Um, Cause then you go and you look at game, game three, as they come back home to Atlanta and the Braves win that game three. Oh, the only, the all three runs coming on a pinch hit uh, Jock Peterson Homer in the bottom of the fifth inning. Uh, Ian Anderson pitched four innings of shutout baseball. He was kind of effectively wild in some sense. Um, got out of a huge, huge jam. I believe it was second and third and nobody out in the – or one out in the fourth inning. Gets out of that jam absolutely massive to keep it scoreless, and then you get the homer um, an inning later. And then once again, the Braves the Braves bullpen at that point shuts them down for five innings of, of uh, scoreless baseball. Yeah, that that's been another theme, especially you know the last round is just the Braves bullpen was really really stellar so far this postseason, and that was certainly my biggest concern going into it is just do we have the arms to to get through the postseason? And, and you know, knock on wood, so far so good. But they, yeah, uh, they have pleasantly surprised me to say the least. Especially the top guys, um, that's for sure because. And then you look at that, you take a 2-1 series lead going into the next day, chance to clinch it in Atlanta. Last thing you want to do is have to is you lose game four and you have to go back for game five. Um, we saw it a couple of years ago when the Braves had their chance with the Cardinals in that in that opportunity into game four. They did not get it done, obviously. Then when they come to Atlanta and the 10-run first inning happens. Um, and that was that. But so then you go to you go to game four and the it was pretty uh, back and forth. The Braves have Charlie Morton come in on short rest, um, gives up two runs, I believe. Uh, and then the Braves answer with two of their own runs immediately afterwards on a, was that another Jock Homer in that game, if I'm not mistaken? Um, gosh, I think we can assume it was. <laughs> uh, what was the two runs there in the fourth inning? No, that sorry, that was Rosario hit the um, – Rosario singled up the middle of the bases loaded to tie it back up. Telez then nukes one off of, you know, on the top of the fifth. The Brewers go back up to Braves come back in the sixth inning. They get another rally. They tie it back up. Peterson with a uh, grounder, a grounder, no field's choice with the bases loaded. Darno gets a single right by the first baseman. They tie it back up. Um, and then one of probably the most magical moments of this entire postseason in the bottom of the eighth inning. Uh, Freddie Freeman against Josh Hader, the best against the best. And Freddie takes Hader deep on a first pitch slider 
which is absolutely dumb to even think about. I was hearing some stats afterwards. Haters given up like I got to pull up the stats. I know I texted to you before, but I mean, it, it's an it's a dumb. It, it's so few amount of hits on his slider um, in his entire career. Um, let's see. Okay, here it is. Almost 400 sliders lefty to lefties in his career. One home run before Freddie hit his, and it was Cody Bellinger in 2019. <laughs> yeah, and only 15 extra base hits to lefties in his career as a pitcher so far. That's all pitches. I mean, Tater has been as dominant as Dominic gets against left-handed hitting, and then Freddie Freeman does what he does and comes through for the Braves when they need him the most. And then Will Smith comes out and shuts them down. The Braves, the Braves take the series. Yeah, it, that series was surprising. I don't, I don't know if easy is the right word, but I guess painless. It, it felt like we were clearly the better team yeah. from from really. I mean, even I think game one is is kind of an anomaly. Um, I mean, not not an anomaly, but you're going up against one of the best pitchers in baseball. And then from that point on, it was really. Brave. The Braves pitching Braves had it. Really dominated the Brewers hitting that entire series. The Brewers aren't a great hitting team, but the Braves pitching all the way through all their starters, and especially the bullpen, had only gave up two runs that entire series. And it was on, you know, was a two run homer. That was the only runs they gave up the whole series. And he's not even a traditional piece of the bullpen. So they did what really no one expected them to do, which was completely hold the fort down. And then the Braves do what they always do, which is mash enough balls to, to put in runs to win games. I, I mean, that was kind of the, the theme was that the Braves could keep it a low scoring game. You like their chances to at least stay in it, if not win it, just because they're always capable of hitting the ball at the park. Yeah. And, and that's what's you know, been the issue for the last few postseasons when the Braves are giving up nine runs. Exactly. Um, it's those games are the ones that are clearly hard to win. Um, and I know we were we were both hoping it was going to be the Giants. Well, first we were hoping the Cardinals were going to knock out the Dodgers, so we didn't have to worry about them. Mm-hmm. No, we were both big time hoping the Giants were going to be able to get it done in Game Five in the division series. Once again, not able to get it done. And here come the big bad Dodgers into town. In really, a, it's kind of funny that the Braves get home field advantage in the situation being. They win 18 less games than the Dodgers during the regular season. They get home field because they win their division. Um, I, I know a lot of some people were talking about how it seemingly is unfair. I mean, I, I think it's a fair reward in the fact that this is what you get for winning your division. You get a reward through your side of the bracket to get home field. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's perfectly fair. I, I it really it, I know it seems weird and a lot of more casual baseball fans probably don't like it. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's perfectly fair. And you get to game one, we're throwing Max Fried out there, and Max Fried does exactly what you want him to do and pitches six innings, eight hit ball, two runs, um, five Ks. He gave up the one homer to Will Smith, who I swear just continues to just torch Braves pitching year over year. I, I mean that guy is. That guy is really, really yeah. in the in the postseason. Uh, he is an amazing hitting catcher, that's for sure. Yeah, he is. And Braves tie it up late. Um, tie or Riley ties it up in the fourth inning. That's another hitter that's been just absolutely awesome. this postseason. Um, I know he's going to get a lot of MVP MVP votes for the season, and this postseason he's really showing why. Funny, he didn't even make the All Star game. 
I know it's it's unbelievable. <laughs> like what? Because he had such a horrible start was the was the thing was that this first month month and a half of the season. I mean, it was like, is Austin ever going to get it? Is it ever going to click for him? And then somewhere around mid May, June, it just did. Really, that was the story of the whole team, with the exception of Ronald. Yeah, I mean, uh, Ronald came Ron- out. He came out firing from the start. Yeah, as you'd expect, but. Yeah, he he definitely has lit it lit it up, and he's been silent superstar this last two thirds of the season. Really, he's phenomenal. I mean, even and he's been even better in the postseason. Ugh. He had he had a huge hit last night to yeah just tie it up. So he hit Riley gets the walk off in in game one, which was a pretty special moment. I mean, it's his first ever career walk off. You, you take game one, which really was, I, I think, the most important game for the Braves coming in the series because the Dodgers were going with bullpen game and the Braves have Max Reed going on the mound. That's the type of game that you must win in this type of series because yeah. you can't give them a game when you clearly have the advantage to start. I mean, yeah, no, you, you can't burn one of your best. I mean, Freed and Morton toss up on, on who you want to say your best starting pitcher is yeah. when they're doing a, you know, a, a union game. And that, that would have been catastrophic. When I saw that the Dodgers were doing that and that it was pretty heavily contested, I was, I was very worried that we were going to drop that game. And then that, that would have really set the stage poorly for the rest of the series. I think. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not even that we're down one. Oh, I think it's just kind of a shot to morale. That's like, if you're in the Braves clubhouse, okay, we just threw our basically our best guy at him. And they went by committee and uh, yeah, took it they, to us. And still and still take it at, at your place, too. I mean, so it, you're right. It's not even more of the game one. I think it's a, would have been a lot of that morale and, and you know, that, that thought process. And clearly everyone remembers what happens last year. The Braves got up 2-0, we're up 3-1, and the Dodgers come storming back in the series. So I'm sure there was a lot of remembrance of that. And it's not easy to forget when a team kind of dominates you the way that the Dodgers do the Braves. Um, it's not easy to get over that mental hurdle. No, it's certainly not. And I, I think there's a mentality that can be to the Braves' advantage of playing loose and fast, saying, you know, nobody expects us to win. We're playing the defending World Series champions who, by the way, just added Max Scherzer and a handful of other <laughs> really good players, Trey Turner. I mean, I, I was talking um, yesterday to one of my buddies. They have two of the best three shortstops on their team. Yeah. And, and it's just, you know, they're – an absolute phenomenal baseball team. And I think because they're such heavy favorites, the Braves the last few years have kind of lived off of that. Like, Hey, you know, let's just go out there and do it because the Braves have won the division four years in a row and not one year have we been picked preseason unanimously to win the division. So we, we've got that mindset down. It's amazing how people continue to count out the Braves and Hey, this season, I mean, you could put kind of me and you in, in that boat a little bit at times. I mean, when Ronald went down, and I think that they truly have kind of adopted this mentality of what is there to lose. I, I mean, I know I said this two podcasts ago as we were going into the playoffs, but I mean, that's the Braves are playing with house money because nobody, once they lost Ronald, they easily could have lied down and nobody, nobody would have blinked an eye at them. They could have just written it off as the excuse. We lost our best player. It was just too hard to recover. And the Braves go out there and they continue to grind every day. And Thoughtfuls goes out and makes just an absolute flurry of moves at the deadline that every single one of them has panned out to where they are now to help them to where they are. And 
then here they are making into the postseason. And then everybody that really was on those trades, it seems like, is making a significant impact at this point in the postseason. And it's just it's kind of miraculous in a way of what this what this team is doing. I mean, I don't want to say team of destiny or anything like that, but I mean, it just there, there does feel to be a little bit of a special aura around them right now. And, you know, the guys who got the deadline, the production, like you said, is, is one thing, but the energy that those guys bring to the locker room is, is incredible too. I mean, the, this, these are guys who've been with the team for, what is it? Three months, two, three yeah. months. I mean, yeah, end of and, July. Yeah. And they're out there. They're the first ones out of the dugout when a run scored, you know, they're the ones going nuts. You know, the whole stadium yesterday was wearing the, the jock pearl necklaces, you know, the whole, never- the whole crowd's chanting Eddie. And it was just an, an unbelievable scene for those two guys. I've never seen a, I guess, a prop or, you know, a fan base rallied behind something from one player. Like the Brace fans have rallied behind these pearls. I mean, you've got grown men wearing like grandma pearl necklaces down to the game, all because Jock Peterson decided to go get pearls one day instead of getting a, a gold chain. He was like, ah, pearls are kind of cool. Dale Murphy threw out the first pitch of the game yesterday and pulls out of his back pocket one of those string of pearl necklaces and put it on. <laughs> Dale Murphy, what arguably one of the best players to ever be on the Braves, is out there he, pulling for Jock. He's out there buying it all in. And then, I mean, you talk, you said yesterday's crowd was electric. And that's because I know you were at the game. Yesterday's game two might be one of the best baseball games I have seen in a long, long time. Um, mm-hmm. The Bra- uh, before the Braves could even blink. So you're sitting there, you're up 1-0. It's uh, Ian Anderson versus Max Scherzer. Obviously, the Braves are extremely familiar with Max Scherzer um, from his days with the Nationals. And Max, and then you've got um, Ian Anderson, and the Dodgers have seen him a few times. Ian Anderson's pitched great in the postseason time after time. Um, and Scherzer's coming in off short rest. But really, before the Braves could even blink, or even probably some people get to their seats, Braves are down 2-0. One pitch to Mookie and one pitch to Seager and balls in the bullpen. Yeah. I mean, I, I was sitting there and I was just like, well, that's not great. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the Dodgers for you. Yeah. And, and kind of some background context. I had tickets to the first game and wasn't able to go because some stuff came up. So I ended up selling those game one tickets and got them for game two. And then I was watching game one and – when we went on a walk-off, I was kind of just like, dang, that would have been a really cool game to go to. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm sitting there, you know, five minutes into the game. Like you said, I'm barely in my seat. And next thing you know, bang. Bang, <laughs> like, ball. Oh. I mean, and one another person that continues to just torment the Braves, Corey Seager. That's six home runs and nine postseason games against the Braves in his career. Yeah. Six, that Nine games. That guy is uh, he's just really good. freaking good. He's just good. <laughs> Um, and, and so the, then you look at Max Scherzer and it just through three innings, Max Scherzer looked absolutely pride Max. I mean, he was painting the ball all over the place. Nothing was being hit hard. Um, they were putting anything in play at all. The, the couple times they got people on base, it seemed like it was always the two outs. Um, and just through three innings, you're sitting there and you're like, two runs is going to be hard to come off. Now, Max was coming off a short rest. He pitched game five, or he pitched game three of the NLDS, goes out and pitches a one-inning save in game five. And so he's he's kind of coming on short rest already. 
Oh, he also pitched a wild card game. So he was kind of coming in a little bit off short rest into that game. Um, so he's been pitching a ton. And I think we started to see some of that fatigue show up if you got into the fourth inning. Yeah, I mean, it it was a very slow start for the Braves. I mean, with the exception of Rosario, nobody got a hit. Um, I mean, one of the things I'm sure we'll we'll touch on briefly, but like Freddie has been pretty much non-existent at the plate this series. He had seven uh, straight strikeouts to start the series. It's the long yeah. it's the longest in his career. He's only done it two other times in his career. Um, had seven consecutive at bats with a strikeout. And granted, oh, there was a lot of really good pitching. Um, they showed a good relay of it on, on, on TV last night of kind of uh, showing where the strikeouts were. I mean, they were throwing high, low, inside, outside. I mean, so they were changing eye levels and all around on them. But still, I mean, Freddie was missing some balls that you just you don't see him miss. I mean, if he misses, it's he fouls it away, not swinging through 94 over the middle of the plate. Yeah, I mean – uncharacteristic stuff i'm sure you know it's fluky like everything can be but it was just crazy to see because freddie is like he doesn't strike out often in general so to do it seven times in a row is pretty pretty crazy but i mean the rest of the lineup was struggling to get on base and it seemed like the dodgers were getting on base every and will yeah will and we were just managing to hold it i i I don't know what the exact number was but it it felt like we didn't get the first guy out I was about to say, I I think it was um, five out of the first seven innings and maybe six out of the nine um, that they got the first guy on base. I mean, that is that's a lot of traffic and a lot of high stress pitches when you're talking about a postseason game. We walked a lot of guys yesterday. That is something that is very concerning because some were some were intentional, um, but I think it was nine walks or something. Um, Yeah. I mean, Ian walked a lot of guys just right out of the gate. He didn't. He didn't yeah. have his best stuff for sure. Um, I know Webb had a walk in there pretty it, early. Um, yeah, I think I think three of them were intentional. I know two for sure were intentional. Will Smith and I know Bell and I think they they did intentionally walk Bellinger. So well. I know three off the top of my head I could think of that were intentional walks. So six sounds not as bad as nine when you when you start putting it in context like that. But it was it was worrisome because they kept getting people on and yet the Braves pitchers kept making pitches to get them out of it. Ian Anderson only goes three innings, kind of surprising to pull him, But like you said, he really didn't have it early. And with it being 2-0, that was your goal was you said, all right, we'll hope the bullpen keeps it to 2-0 because you got a chance to come back. Um, Chavez has a nice quick inning. Um, I believe it was Minter then comes out in the fourth. He gets at, uh, gets through it. And then in the bottom of the fourth inning, Riley leads off the inning with a walk. And then Jocktober comes to life again. Jock Peterson with an absolute nuke job, hang a ball on top of the chop house. His third, let's see, one, two, I think it's his third postseason home run already this postseason. Um, it's this was the longest postseason homer from anybody this year. Uh, 454 feet, absolute tank on a hanging curveball from Scherzer. That was the loudest I had ever heard truest. <laughs> to, be sh- to be shortly followed up by the by the walk off, but that was like, um, like I didn't even know what happened. It was like you just you hear the crack, and then next thing you know, the whole stadium's just going nuts. But that thing was an absolute rocket, like you said, and like it wasted no time getting out. Yeah, watch I I say watch the replay because Jock is celebrating so close to the dugout <laughs> by, by first that he like. 
he does like a circle around the base pad. Like it, <laughs> there's no angle. I mean, it, that guy is just electric. Yeah, there. he has a mantra about him that in a way, I mean, it's a super cocky attitude and mantra, but it's not in like a derogatory way. I mean, it's just this. He just he believes in himself. Yeah, he just oozes confidence out yeah. there. I think it bleeds out onto the team a little bit too. When they see him and the attitude that he has, I think it absolutely um, plays itself out to the rest of the team. So the Braves tied up there in the fourth. They pull Scherzer in the fifth. Once again, I, I think that a lot of it had to do with just him coming back from short rest, and he was pretty gassed. His velocity was going down. And then you start getting a couple more quick innings, um, some some scary innings, traffic on base, and then you get to the seventh inning, and the Braves uh, – Put people all over all over the uh, base pass again. Load them up. Gets the two outs, and then Chris Taylor, a guy who comes through every postseason, already has had one big postseason hit with the walk off in the wild card game. Um, gets a gets a double right up the middle uh, in front of Heredia, and I, I know it wasn't a great play. Heredia gets caught kind of in between going to try and decide if he wants to dive for the ball, if he wants to keep the ball in front of him. But I think the bigger play there is Jock Peterson backing him up because Jock Peterson went on a full-blown sprint on a ball that's really straight straight away to center. I mean, it's not his ball by any means. And he goes on a full-blown blown sprint to back him up and it because the ball gets away from him. And if he doesn't, Justin Turner scores from first easily, mm-hmm. quite easily. And it's a much different, it's a much different ball game because that one run proves to be really, really big when you start talking about the finale of this game. Um, so you get out because they get out of that inning, they bring Luke Jackson in, uh, or Luke Jackson was already in. Luke Jackson gets out of the inning and uh, strikes out, I believe it was AJ Pollock, keeps the bases loaded and, and holds them to two runs. And you're thinking, okay, well, Brace don't have a lot of chances, but two is a whole lot better than if the Dodgers had blown that open to, to four or five. Yeah, I mean, that that was huge. Um, I was, I couldn't, couldn't see it very well from where I was at, but I, I thought the same thing watching it, but um. Another guy who's been phenomenal has been Tyler Matzik. God, he is. I mean, he, he's, he has been put every game. in some insanely difficult situations, especially these last two games, and has just absolutely shut the door. Guy is a workhorse. He's pitched in all seven games for the Braves. Um, I don't know if he's given up a run yet. If he has, it's I, – I think, actually, I think some of them were charged to him last night. Um when Luke Jackson came in, because I think he was uh, and that was pitching before that. But they they get out of it. They get to the – they don't score in the seventh. You get to the eighth inning, and kind of a little bit surprising, the Dodgers bring in uh, Urias, who had just pitched game five um, in the NLDS on short rest. He pitched so great against the Braves last year, and they bring him in. And the Braves start a rally real quick in that eighth inning. Um, I want to pull up the play-by-play here because you look at it and Dario, sorry about that, as I pull up ESPN and a video starts playing. Um, Rosario uh, singles up the middle or singles to left field on a really, really good piece of hitting, hitting the ball the opposite way against the shift on a left-handed hitter. Uh, Freeman flies out and Rosario makes a crazy aggressive decision to try and tag to second. Yeah. I don't know what he was thinking there, but 
if Pollock throws a good throw, he's out. But he's fortunate. Pollock throws the ball wide of the base. He gets in a second. And then Ozzy hits a little bloop single to right field. And Ron Washington sends him on a pretty questionable send. And um, the right fielder for the, uh, the Dodgers, uh, Sousa, doesn't throw a great ball, a two-hopper to the plate. And Rosario makes the fantastic tag, just this tag where – or the slide where he is uh, kind of like twisting his body out of the way, reaching for home plate, gets in by inches, and then Riley steps up on the very next pitch and laces one off the base of the wall to center field. Ozzy comes all the way around from first to score, and the Braves, just like that, tie it right back up. Super, super quick again, just a quick strike offense from this Braves team. And just this never, never say never, never die attitude. Yep. And we had some fortune. We had the right base runners at the right time because we had the two <laughs> fastest guys on the on the team, really, when we needed them. Yeah. Both guys, great, great base running, super aggressive sends by Wash both times. And you, you know what? In, I know a lot of people are going to question it, but in the postseason, I don't mind ever making, making the decision to send somebody. Because you get there and you have to make them make perfect throws. They have to hit the cutoff, man. They have to throw a perfect ball to the plate. And then they have to make it. You have to catch it. You have to make the tag. I, I mean, and if they execute, then congrats, they execute. But there are a lot of little things that can go wrong. Um, and little things went wrong for the Dodgers on their throws. And it's why the Braves had the opportunity to tie the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, I think it's situational as well. I, I don't think Washington's sending – you know, Freddie or Duvall around third. I think he knew he had the two bet, probably two best base runners in the lineup. And, yeah. and why not? You know, because if you hold him at third, you need something else to go right for you. You got a chance and it's going to be a, a toss up either way. You might as well roll the dice. And he yep. certainly isn't opposed to rolling the dice. And then you look at the ninth inning, um, Darno gets jammed on Bruce Dahl Gratterall's throwing 102 mile an hour sinkers all over the place. And Darno fights went off. Uh, smacks one into into center field on a broken bat. Uh, so he gets his single. They pinch run for him. They try bunting with Swanson. Not a great bunt attempt. Not easy to bunt 100 miles an hour. Um, so Pache gets thrown out at second. Swanson's on first. Heredia grounds one to third into a fielder's choice. Swanson gets to second. And then the guy who just won't stop hitting right now for, for the Braves, Eddie Rosario, uh, singles up the middle off Kenley Jensen on the first pitch on a ball that was absolutely laced. Um, Roy Seager tried to do a backhand, gets under his glove. Dansby Swanson comes around to score. And just like that, Braves are up 2-0 going out to L.A. Mm-hmm. And L.A. has been a house of horrors for the Braves for the past while. I mean, it's really been a, yeah. it's been a long time. Um, they've lost, I think 10 of 10 of their last 11 or 11 of their last 12 or something like that out in LA. It's been absolutely brutal, but the Braves are going out there up to, Oh, Charlie Morton's coming in for game three on full rest. Um, even actually an extra day of rest. One of the best postseason pitchers that they have, that has pitched in the last five years in baseball, um, going up against Walker Buehler, some of the Braves who have hit before pretty well in the postseason of, of late. And you've got a chance to go up 3-0. I mean, wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's, let's just go out there and do it. I mean, I, I would love to see us sweep them. I don't think it'll happen. I, I think realistically, and I guess, you know, baseball, you never can be, say, realistically ever. But if we can take one game off from out there in L.A., I like that. 
I like our odds, really. If, I mean, if you come back three two and you've got to win one out of two at, at Truist, it's a that's a really really big deal. But I mean, the the funny thing is, you look at it, and it's like if you win Game Three and you're up three zero, Game Four is going to be really tough for the Braves because they won't have anybody to start. Um, it'll probably have to be a bullpen game or having kind of a I guess an opener, you could say with Yanoa or Drew Smiley coming in and pitching. Um, so game four really looks like, I, mean, I don't want to say a throwaway game by any stretch, but it's not going to be easy for the Braves. Um, and so that's why I think game three really is huge. Cause if you get that, then you're looking at game five with Max Reed coming out there on full rest. And then you've got, I mean, you've got three shots with Freed, Anderson and Morton for five, six and seven. And you've got, that is your trio. And I think the Braves absolutely will take those chances against anybody. I agree. <laughs> so it truly has been just, like I said, magical what they have done to this point. And um, by no means do I want to say that the series, the series is nowhere near over. The Braves were up 2-0 last year. The Braves were up 3-1 last year. Um, did not work out. But this team, this team is different. The difference, if you look, if you go back to that, when the Braves were up 2-0, their next three pitchers were Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson, and then A.J. Miller doing it. Those are their next three pitchers. You have the starters this year. You have the starters. The bullpen is pitching. Right now, it is pitching better than the Dodgers' bullpen, which was the one thing coming into the series. I said the Dodgers had a clear, and I thought it was a pretty severe advantage on the Braves, just how deep it was and how good it was. And the Braves are stepping up to the moment right now, and they're getting the job done. Yeah, I mean, everything so far has has really gone as well as you could could have planned it. Yeah. You, you could not have scripted it any better for the race. Um, yeah. So we'll see what happens tomorrow with game three. It seems so weird to say it's, it's not a must win, but man, three Oh feels a whole lot better than the possibility of looking at two, two of losing games three, four, because then it's a whole brand new series at two, two. Definitely. So it, it's going to be going to be huge. The whole city of Atlanta is really re- rallying behind this team. The atmospheres at Drewist have been electric so far. I, I went to games four or games three and four. You just went to game two. Um, it, it's been it's been pretty special to see. So uh, I mean that that pretty well covers it for the Braves. Uh, we'll we'll kind of we'll jump it back over to college football uh, and just do kind of a quick quick recap here of, of what happened this past weekend. It wasn't the the biggest or most noteworthy Saturday. Nothing like it was uh, the week prior. So. We'll start with really the the big upset of the weekend, which it's funny that this hasn't, in my opinion, gotten a lot of talk. Uh, Iowa getting schlacked at Purdue at home, twenty four to seven, not not even close, and another top five team losing. I I like Iowa, I really do. I think they're a good team, and I think this is probably more than a fluke or anything. But I I'd be remiss if I said I wasn't kind of waiting for this all season. Just like to have them to have that one loss that just comes out of nowhere, and you're just like, okay, like, <laughs> yeah. And and to be honest, there, I don't think anybody genuinely believed that Iowa was the second best team in the country. Yeah. And, and I think they they've played a tough schedule thus far, and they were definitely deserving of being up there in the rankings. Two, no, but um, you know, the the Big Ten, pretty much all of the the big teams has ha- have had one loss. So they're not out of it by any stretch. Um, so 
We'll see what happens there. But you've got two undefeated teams left in the Big Ten, and it's Michigan State and Michigan. Pretty yeah. I would love to see who had that left on their bingo card at the beginning of the year, that those would be the two undefeated teams left at this point in the season. But yeah, I mean it was a really, you know, surprising in a sense that it was to Purdue, but I guess like you said, not that surprising to see that happen because Iowa's offense has not been great. Um, their defense, I mean, didn't play horrible, but gave up 24 points to a Purdue team. It's not that good. Um, and it's just, these are the type of losses you can't have when you're have aspirations of a national championship, right? They're not out of it. I mean, they can still win their conference. They can, and if they win the conference at one loss, I'm sure they'll still make it to the playoff, but it, it just begs to differ of will this happen again before the season's over. Right. Um, Georgia proved this past weekend that they are without a shadow of a doubt, the number one team in the country right now. Um, Kentucky looked exactly how I expected. I don't know about you. It was the, I expected it to go the exact way. That it did. 30 to 13, pure domination the entire game was never close. Um, never in doubt. Yeah. It was, it I mean, was exactly what I thought. The score was close for a minute, and um, but the play never felt like it was it was a fourteen seven game at half. But, I mean, honestly, hats off to Kentucky because I I actually think that's a good football team. I, I really do. Too. I think it's a really solid. I think that they are the fourth best team in the SEC, and out of the entire conference, which is pretty serious when you start talking about Kentucky. I think Georgia's better than them. I think Bama's better than them, and I think Ole Miss is better than them. And outside of that, I think that they are better than every other team in the SEC, which that's really hard to do at a place like Kentucky. To be yeah, I mean, hats off to Mark Stoops because he he inherited a very bad program. And he they're not really a joke at all anymore. They're no, really I mean football team. No one wants to play that team. They are an extremely physical team. Um, mm-hmm. Right at you, they're going to beat you up, and it's not you're not going to feel too good after playing them. I can promise you that. Um, yep. Their defense is super good, and they run the ball super well. So, um, off to them. Uh, Cincinnati throttles UCF. They win big, and that's your number two team in the country now, Cincinnati. Uh, I. It's kind of funny. <laughs> you look at it, and it's like, how did we get to this point? But if you look at who's lost and who's won, I mean, it's kind of – it's not hard to see why they are. But The it's, musical chairs of number two. This yeah. <laughs> I mean, truly two through four at the moment is there. There's a lot of people you could throw in that categories between two through four. One is solidified and two through four is I'm going to be really, really interested once we get, I think it's another two weeks of football. And then we're going to have to start talking about playoff rankings. Um, Clearly a lot can happen between now and then, but this is not going to be an easy year for the committee. No, so not at all. um, (laughs) Let's uh we could go ahead and get get kind of the elf. I don't really want to say the elephant out of the room, but uh, we can we'll move on to the other big major storyline for the weekend, which was the uh, the Tennessee Ole Miss game. It was an extremely electric atmosphere. Um, super super cool on TV. I've uh, seen the videos of it. It looked even better in person. Um, the light show was was really really cool. Checkered Nealon at night. Extremely hostile crowd. Um, and a really really Good football game all the way through. Um, Tennessee coming up just short, had a shot to win the game at the end, lose 31-26. But extremely happy and proud for how that football team fought late this weekend. I mean, yeah, I'm not discounting any of that at all. I think everything you said there is incredibly valid. 
Um, Tennessee actually put up a fight against a good team, which I'm sure you're happy about. Um, I mean, it, I, I don't want to say moral victories, but it's, you know, this team's playing really shorthanded with a lot of injuries, not all the scholarship players. And uh, Absolutely. I mean, hats off to them because they, they went through hell the last, the last year and, and they've pieced together a, a competitive team. It's, it's a, a very serviceable mid-year yeah. SEC program. I mean, they the team's good enough that they were they had an exciting game against the top 15 team coming into town. Yeah. I mean, that That's something certainly hasn't happened probably not since last, before you were a student there. Yeah, not, not, not really since 2016 was there competitive games against top programs. Yeah. So, I mean, it's been five years since, since we've had anything good like that. And another hats off that – when the golf balls were being thrown on the field, they were range <laughs> balls and not pro V's. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That that one student had uh, that. That's definitely that college t- college bank account yeah. on your pocket. But no, we can we can talk about that. Of uh, I, I was going to say, we don't really need to dive into. I just I do want to bring up something briefly from a fairly unbiased perspective about it. I get it that like the SEC can't stand for you know something like that, and they have to do something. But I. I have a hard time like finding it reasonable that this the school gets fined a quarter of a million dollars for the actions <laughs> of the fans. I mean, I, I understand where they're coming from and they have to do something to Tennessee. And I, I don't know exactly what the book's like, but I can't imagine a quarter of a million dollars is that big of a deal to that school. But yeah. it, it just that felt odd to me because there's there's nothing that they could have done to stop that situation. No, I mean you have you have a huge game. It's a night game, people have been drinking all day. And in coming from a Tennessee fan, um, that was not just a that that was not a reaction to just the fourth down spot. On a fourth and twenty-four, Tennessee comes up a half a yard short, um, and it's a questionable spot. The rep, the side judge who's supposed to make the spot, is nowhere near in position to make it. He's twenty yards away from the play, um, cannot make an accurate decision. You have no good camera angle for it. Um, it this really was not what goes to one play as much as maybe national media wants to break it down to it. This has been a culmination really of a lot of energy for probably the last 12 years. It goes all the way back to, to Lane Kiffin leaving in the middle of the night against Tennessee 12 years ago in 09 or after the 09 season. And you have Lane Kiffin back in town. He's an extremely hated person. You have this huge atmosphere, this huge game. And then you have a bunch of really, really poorly spotted balls throughout the entire game. You have a really questionable um, defensive touchdown on a on what should look like a strip fumble touchdown, and then it gets called back to forward progress, even though there was a whistle blown. Um, so you, you kind of had people on edge at that, and then you just have this one moment where everything comes crashing down, and it, it starts with a few people get mad and start throwing, and then everybody just kind of let it rip at that point. And it, it was a absolutely horrible look by no means. Do I condone or do I condone the behavior? Um, I, I don't agree to it. I did not throw anything on the field myself. I don't really ever see the point in it. I had friends that legitimately got hit in the student section from stuff flying, but the national media media is trying to make this seem like this would only happen at Tennessee. Like this, this never happens anywhere else. It happened the very next day in London in the Jags in the Jags game. People were throwing stuff on the field after a taunting penalty game or taunting penalty in that game, and you didn't hear a peep about that. And then you've got national media's out, national media writers out here like Pat Ford trying to say Tennessee does, doesn't deserve to have fans at their next home game as a punishment. 
Yeah, no, that that's nonsense. I mean, it it's honestly it's the Lane Kiffin show. I mean, the media yeah. loves Lane Kiffin and they love the the feud between him and Tennessee. And even if it had been a single water bottle, they would have drummed it up to make it something bigger than it was. Um, Clearly um, a golf ball is not good to throw. Yeah. I, I mean, as you've said, like, yes, the fans <laughs> were in the wrong, but like to, to run a smear campaign against Tennessee is. Tennessee loves to be the budding joke of, of the national media. I mean, it, they're an easy target every, every single time. Um, we've had some questionable stuff over the years as a fan base. I'm not going to deny that, but it we're just always an easy target. It seems like for them to, to write at and, you know, Tennessee's kind of becoming the villains of college football. And frankly, a lot of the fan base is embracing that. Um, they're kind of, they're kind of taking to that energy and they're like, you know what? Screw it. It's us against the world. And they're like, we're going to continue to be ourselves. And even, even our head coach, I mean, he wasn't defending the actions of it, but he was certainly defending the fans after the game. But he was talking about how electric of an atmosphere he was. It was like, he said he was. I've played. He's played in a lot of big games. He's won a national championship. He was a Heisman contender, um, and he's like, "This is the best atmosphere I've ever been in in college football for a ball game." Even Lane Kiffin really was kind of joking about it after the game. I mean, he was like, "You know what? It, it happened. It, it's not a good look." Um, what's pretty interesting is I have no way of proving this, and it's it's hearsay. But I've seen multiple Tennessee fans um, say that they were sitting in an upper deck but with the visitor section, um, there's kind of two, two visitor sections at Neyland stadium. There's one on, on the lower bowl, uh, down one by one of the end zones. And then there's some in the upper deck and that's up above our band. And that's where stuff started really flying from was kind of there. They're right by our student section as well, up over them. And they said that Ole Miss fans were actually really the ones that started throwing stuff first was that they got mad that thinking the call was getting overturned and they started throwing stuff. And then they continued to egg it on because they thought that if you kept throwing stuff, that the, the game was going to get delayed and the game was going to be over. The game wasn't even over. There was a minute to go and Tennessee had three timeouts with Ole Miss getting the ball. And it proved to be legit that Tennessee had a chance to go down and win the game. They got it down to, I think, the 25-yard line or something um, with 10 seconds left. So they they had a chance. And so nobody nobody was perfect and nobody was, was innocent in, in this case, I guess is what I'm trying to get to. Yeah, definitely. both sides were wrong, um, and I'm just kind of sick and tired of, of the smear campaign, like you said, that that's happening to Tennessee. But hey, like, as I said, we're kind of used to it as a fan base at this point. Um, so yeah, quarter of a million dollar fine. We do not lose our beer privileges, which I'll be nice for the university because that would have been a huge hit to the revenue bucket. <laughs> I <laughs> promise you that. So, um, but yeah, really, really good stuff. Competitive. It's probably not going to be a very pretty week for Tennessee looking forward. They just had 100 plays go up again. Uh, they had 100 plays right against them, and now you get to go on the road at Alabama. It's not really going to be a pretty sight. And Alabama had a serious case of uh, saving, got, saving got into his boys after losing to, to Adam because they poured it on. This is yeah, so that was a little bit of red ass there. That's, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it was. That was exactly how I expected that game to go. <laughs> yeah. If anybody thought that that Mississippi State was ever going to stay in that game after they were, they were probably the only people that weren't happy seeing Alabama lose because they knew what was coming for him the next week. Then, yeah. Um, Saban doesn't lose often, but he definitely doesn't lose twice in a row. <laughs> Not in a row. No, <laughs> that that guy will. Yeah, he will get his boys ready, and I'm going to guess that they're probably going to even. Even if Tennessee goes out there and gets beat down to Bama, um, I, I'm not taking anything away from that other than Bama still is a top five football team. And it is, is a, oh, unquestionably. 
monumental ask for Tennessee to come out there and even compete with them. So uh, I guess that kind of sounds sad that I'm already talking them up as a loss, but you know, you're a realistic fan sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm trying to think if there's much else over the weekend. Um, Texas blew a big lead again um, in the Oklahoma State game that they had, they led multiple times in that game. Um, they lose by eight to them continues to just be a up and down season for them. And then the, really the biggest news um, comes out on Sunday. The only other thing that the national media is going to talk about now outside of Tennessee's trash throwing incident was uh, Ed, o, Ed O getting fired. I said it last week that it was a matter of when, not if after the, uh, after they lost to Kentucky and they went ahead and they came to an agreement that he will not return next season. I think it's a really weird position that you're going to have him coach out the last month and a half of the season. If it's one game, I kind of get it. This much left of the season, it feels really weird. It, it definitely does, but I think a lot of that's out of respect for the man and what he did for the program and how well-liked he is by the fan base. Because, I mean, Louisiana, you know, that whole state loves that man. Yes, they do. And like, um, I went to a school on the Gulf Coast, a lot of LSU fans, and they loved that dude. And, you know, he brings them a, a national title – um, a historically good football team. He was an LSU guy himself when he first went to college, um, started his coaching career there. So I, I think I absolutely concur that it's it's a little odd um, that it's kind of going to be his sort of like goodbye, farewell tour, I guess. Yeah, like season. a swung song the rest um, of the year. Yeah, it, it's definitely weird, but I'm also kind of glad that's the way it's going to be because I think that would have been out of line for them to fire him midseason after what he did for – for that school. I guess he becomes uh, officially uh, Gene Chizik 2.0. I mean, gets gifted just this amazing roster, um, wins a national championship with him. And I, I don't think it's that much that Edo's not that good of a coach, but I, I mean, that that team that he, I just don't know if he is a national championship caliber coach um, at the end of the day. Not everybody is. And I mean, it's the same way as not everybody's good enough to be a professional athlete. We're not good enough to be professional golfers. It doesn't make us bad golfers, but um, yeah. so it, it, that's kind of the way I look at it, that he had that great roster and also an amazing coaching staff with Dave Rand and Joe Brady as his coordinators. Mm-hmm. It was the perfect storm that year. I think that a lot of competent people could have done really well with that LSU team. And a lot of coaches could have won a national championship. That staff and that team. So, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. It comes crashing down. He gets he gets the can, and now the question is, who on earth are they going to go get? Because it's it's really interesting. You have such an arguably one of the top five jobs in college football. The last three head coaches that have coached there have won a national championship. Nick Saban, Les Miles, and now Coach O. No, I don't think there's any other school in the country that can say that. But the last three have all won a natty, and so it's a matter of. Who is going to want to take the job? I mean, Nick Saban's not getting any younger, and you can look at it and be like, hey, I might have to wait out Nick for five years, but after that I could become the king of the West. And they have enough recruiting there to do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure who's really out there, I guess, to get. I mean, Tom Herman's floating around if you want to try out that experiment again. Um, Yeah. Um, I, I know that Jimbo today kind of gave a vote of confidence that he wants to stay at AM. I, I figured that was going to be someone that they will try and try to contact. I don't know if he would ever leave AM. He's getting paid too much money. I, I think for him, that would be a matter of do you want to go win a national championship? You mentioned Mark Stutes earlier. 
And Mark Stoops can have a decision. I think LSU would take him for what he's done at Kentucky, because if he can do that at Kentucky, he can do some pretty special things at LSU. The question for Mark Stoops would be, does he want to be an all-time legend at Kentucky winning eight to 10 games a year? Or does he want to go and try and win a national championship? And I don't think he's wrong either one he decides. That's just a personal decision of what is he driven by? Does he want to be an all-time great at his school, maybe never win a national championship? Or does he want to go to LSU and chase that ring? Yeah, I, I think there's going to be no shortage of big names. And whoever they hire is going to be a big name because, like you said, that's a pretty highly coveted position. Um, you know, I'm sure somebody will jokingly throw Urban in the mix. Oh, I, uh, 100% he'll get thrown. If somebody the hasn't mix. already. But, now nah, there's, there's no shortage of options. And they'll get somebody good and, and get that program kind of gearing back in the, the direction that it, it was early in Coach O's tenure. I wonder if Luke Fickle would take that job. I mean, he's kind of a Midwest guy. He loves Ohio. Um, clearly doing a great job in Cincinnati. He's not going to be there forever. So that's an interesting choice there. Uh, the guy, or the guy at Iowa state, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, and I think that he might want to take a shot at it. Obviously it's been a down year for him, but What's his name? Matt Campbell at Iowa State. It's clearly been a down year for them there. But with the Big 12, not, with, not sure what his future holds. He might want to finally get up and get out of Iowa State while his stock's still high and, and, and get himself a good job. There, there's going to be a bountiful amount of options out there. And I have no real clue right now who they're going to go after. Because they're going to throw a lot of darts out there. It's just, what I don't know what's going to stick. Yeah, we'll see. I haven't heard anything really thus far, so. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're just a, yeah, we're just a day into it, so clearly a, a lot to go. And you, I, you won't get a lot of traction throughout the season because um, they can't talk to these coaches until the season's over. So they can they can put out feelers to their agents, but they won't have any serious conversations until the season's over. And I think the school that's probably going to be most bad right now is USC. You finally get you finally fire your head coach after like three years of having him on the hot seat and then you're not even going to be the best uh, the best job in your coaching cycle. Oh, <laughs> definitely a better job than USC right now. And it's, yeah. it, it's kind of close, but it's not really close. They're, they're definitely a notch above. Yeah, I don't think it's really close right now. So, Ten years ago, sure. Yeah, it's going to, be, going to be really interesting to see what happens. Um, to, uh, kind of last, last but not least, I guess, take a quick look at – a quick glance at the NFL. Um, not really too many surprising results uh, this past week. Your um, Packers continue to roll, Joe. They do. They look strong. Um, I guess the biggest news, McCaffrey got put on the IR, so he won't be back until week nine. I, I feel for all of you fantasy people that have, I have him. your tee, just like, oh, you have him too? Same. Mm-hmm. You can feel each other's pain and all of our listeners' pain. But uh, that, Russell Wilson. Uh, yeah, Russell uh, – Getting hurt you know, last week on what was that? Was that Monday Night Football or Thursday Night? Yeah, the, the no, they, they just played Thursday night, so I think it was Sunday Night Football. Um, that he, yeah, he, thumb or middle finger or something that uh, he tore a ligament in. Um, you have really that. The Bengals looked continue to look solid. Joe Burrow continues to look good um, for them. Granted, it was against the Lions. The uh, the Rams continue to be fantastic. Chiefs. Kind of got a bounce back game, a nice game for them against Washington. Um, 
The Ravens really took it to the Chargers at home, but those are always tough games for West Coast teams come to the East Coast at noon. That's that's a tough time slot for them to play. I don't care who it is. Um, the Cowboys winning in a thriller up in New England. They continue to look really, really solid. I, that is a team that I think has a chance to – if they can stay healthy, that is a team to seriously watch out for. Yeah, that's that's a good football team. No question about it. So – um, not not really any other uh, any other big news. Um, the NFL, in some ways, continues to be quiet um, and predictive every week. But that's what we like about the NFL. And and then clearly, as you start getting into November and December, games start meaning a lot more. It starts meaning a lot more for the playoff push, and can definitely start diving in a lot more. I guess looking at week by week basis um, once we get to that point. So um, really. Gives a nice recap on everything that's going on. Yeah. You got anything else for us, Joe? That's all. That's all? Well, um, clearly, big, big game tomorrow night. Um, Morton on the mound. Walker Beeler on the mound. Big, big game three. Um, We'll see what happens. Hopefully, by the next time uh, time we come on and we talk to you listeners, we will either be talking about a, uh, a Braves World Series appearance for the first time since 1999. Or you will be talking, or we will be sitting here and wondering what went wrong and breaking down what went wrong. It'll be one or the other. Well, let's hope it's the former. I I hope it's the former too. Who knows? Maybe if it's the uh, the World Series trip, we might have to get a an in, we might have to do a live stream from game or something. Yes. <laughs> yeah, um, that'd be that'd be something. But now, big, big time stuff. I know we're both pretty pumped about it. Um, as always, please like, rate, review, subscribe, leaving comments, rating these podcasts for us does a uh, really, really, really good job of helping spread the algorithm out to, to get new listeners into this. We appreciate you guys checking in with us every week. Um, we always enjoy doing it. We love, we love all of you guys out there. So we, we appreciate you guys sticking with us. As, uh, we're coming up shortly on, on our one year anniversary, a couple of weeks, Joe. Absolutely. It's been a good one. It has. Well, we'll get it out of here and uh, let everyone have a good rest of your day and go Braves. Go Braves.